0: Hello and welcome to the bite-sized gaming podcast, the podcast that's serving up a buffet of RPG topics to get you through your week. My name is Zach, and the hosts joining me this evening are John Christian, Troy Sandlin, and then reoccurring guest Thomas Votaw. Everybody, say hi.
1: Hello,
0: greetings. So let's break down how each. Podcast is going to work. There will be four courses: the appetizer, the main course, the palate cleanser, and the dessert. Each course tackles a different angle on the world of RPGs, and we'll cover exactly what those angles are when we get to each segment. You guys ready? Ready. Let's do this. Okay. Yippers. So our appetizer. This is the community poll segment where we bring up new items from around the community, new products, announcements, things like that. We have two items today. Um, and I actually didn't put down either one of these, so um, raise your hand if you got one, I guess. But the first one um, is about Onward. Who brought that up? Troy? Yeah, that was that was actually me. Nope. Um, so I've child. got uh,
2: – I don't think I have a family. I think we're, we're, refer- we're referring to it now as a litter. I've, I've got a lot of kids. So <laughs> sure. uh, D- sure. Disney Plus released Onward uh, recently, and I didn't get a chance to see it in the theaters for obvious reasons. But um, – I got to watch it with the kids, and I gotta say, I, I absolutely love it. And um, I think the thing that I really enjoyed about it, along with other uh, other forms of media that have kind of adopted or have paid homage to Dungeons and Dragons and role playing games, onward is a really, really great love letter to D D. That whoever it was that wrote at Pixar that, that wrote this is a nerd that knows, right? And so. I'm really curious as to see how this is going to end up expanding the social consciousness when it comes to D and D, because now it's in, you know, in living rooms across the world, uh, where people are starting to watch this movie, and they're asking now. Now everyone knows what a gelatinous cube is, <laughs> yes. for for those that haven't seen it yet, right? Uh, and so I thought that was hilarious, and so I love this, uh, obviously for its on its own merit, obviously. But I, again, this is. Someone that has, is not making fun of it, not poking at it, not making fun of the thebes that are into it, but the, the real hero of the, of the entire movie, not to point, not, not to say anything, no spoilers, uh, is the, the person that loves it, right? That, that loves this mm-hmm. hobby, right? And so I'm really curious to see how this is going to end up panning out further, you know, championing the, the cause and ca- carrying
0: the banner forward for D&D. Yeah, I haven't yeah. seen it, but I've got a question, I guess, or the thing sure. that comes to mind there is, like, so there's always been fantasy movies, right? Like, as far as, like, the idea of the fantasy genre is not something new. I mean, just as an easy point of reference, we have things like Game of Thrones or Lord of the Rings that are more even adult fantasy, right? Like, like D&D sure. has been considered for years. Um, was there anything in it that, that, like, said, this is D&D, like, like, was there something at the end or something that's like yo this is pixar D D," or yeah. is this just a fantasy and i i guess i don't really care except that like when lord of the rings came out we didn't see an explosion of people turning to sure dungeons and dragons so how right. is this going to be different yeah that's fair so uh again i'll try really really hard not
2: to spoiler at all i think that the premise of the entire movie is a quest and it's it's wrapped up in the tropes and the trappings of Dungeons and Dragons, and it is pointed out as such, even though it's not called D and D, that yes, it is a role. Of yore. Yeah, quests of yore, and it is a the the entire movie is a quest, right? That yes, these that these two all, brothers take. It's
3: hmm. all about a tabletop role playing game. Yeah. Right. So they show this in the beginning the are playing okay tabletop yeah. role-playing games so they okay. don't say that this is so i watched it too i have two boys both in that perfect age for pixar and disney movies mm-hmm. so i have mm-hmm. a four and a two-year-old and my four-year-old had been wanting to see it in the theaters wanting to see it in the theaters and then of course everything happened so um this is i mean we're recording um at the beginning of april yeah and the movie came out on in in theaters probably mid-march i'd say give or take and in mid-March, we were about to go to the movies, in the weekend that went to the movies, I live in Ohio, and Ohio shut down all non-essentials. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah.
3: And so we stayed home, and Disney said that, okay, since it's not going to the movies, we're going to put it out for three weeks and buy it now kind of thing, and then it's going to go on Disney Plus after that. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. And
3: we bought it that night mm-hmm. because my son wanted to see it so much, and it was worth every penny for us because it mm-hmm. was um it would this is something i want to do with him anyway because we read like the monster cards at nighttime anyway and things like that he's super excited about the base premise of Mm dnd um but he of course he's too young he doesn't know math he doesn't know how to read dice well and things like that so he can't play yet but um but it's something we wanted to do and and he absolutely loves it and what's great is i absolutely love it too it was Mm -hmm. um it was fantastic it was there's little. Um, I know a couple podcasts ago, you guys talked about what got you guys started with Dragonlance and um, and a draw ra- a certain draw ranger that you picked up. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and uh, there's uh, homages to both of those in the movie, yeah. and there's homages to um, just just a little bit of everything. Everything that has been my childhood for for 20 years,
0: mm.
3: and um, it was very well done. It was very clean, and as Jonathan said, it was a, it was a love letter. It wasn't a, hey, this is popular now, so we're going to make money off of it. Mm-hmm. It was, it truly was done for people. It was done for everybody because Pixar is not going to make something that's not universally accepted. But mm-hmm. it was really done for the people that live in this world and really enjoy these things. Yeah, I,
2: I agree. I think that if you look at it, this was kind of. They were swinging hard when they made this movie because to your point Dungeons and Dragons may be really accessible to us but to the general public it's it has been a a long sell it's been a long game yeah. you know no pun intended oh, yeah. to get to get it out there and so they took a risk in my opinion to put this out there and make it you know, yeah lord of the rings worked out and the harry potter series worked out game of thrones worked out and all that stuff but every time you put a fantasy movie out there there's a really good chance it's going to bomb still yeah you know, seventh son i'm looking at you right or or aragon <laughs> i'm looking at you something like yeah. the john carter yeah john yeah john, john don't carter. even talk I to love john, carter. <laughs> john carter i love john carter right uh but yeah i'm, I'm with you so i'm like thomas You've got your kids are a lot younger mine are older. I've got a 20 year old 15 year old 14 year old and a toddler <laughs> we the, so uh, and uh, they all loved it and they all went bananas for it and laughed and that's that, that's all they talked about for the last week and I've loved it as yeah. a dad they were already I, nerds anyway, but they really just it locked it in for. Them. I really hope that um, Disney doesn't
3: bomb on it. Oh, no. I know that all I know that with the unfortunate timing, it's not going to make nearly what it was slated to make. Yeah. But I really hope everything I've heard, everybody's loved it. Yeah. So what I hope at least the word gets around that this is a great movie, even if box office didn't show that it was a great movie. I really hope that it it, it is being shown that, hey. People, it's not going to just be like this sort of cult thing that disappears because of the time. It's not something we're going to look back at in 10 years and be like, oh, it did so bad at the box office and no one's going to mm-hmm. put two yeah. and two together. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Wow, they should have just had us uh, record a trailer for it is what I'm hearing. Right? So, oh. Yeah, we did enough hyping <laughs> right Sold. there. Yes.
1: Did you, did you see the uh, the thank you in the credits to Wizards of the Coast and Dungeons and & Dragons?
2: No, I didn't see that. They that. actually
1: consulted with Wizards of the Coast on this on this movie to I get some that. stuff to get some stuff right, and yeah, they thanked them in the in the credits. So I thought that was really cool. Oh, well, it's not that.
2: just cool; it's also smart. Yeah. You know, it's kind of yeah. like Kiss yeah. the Ring. <laughs> 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 Make sure that it's right, and, and you know, it's. Uh, but I love that though; that's really cool. I didn't, I didn't realize that. I missed
0: that. I'll look for it next time. Sweet. Let's move on to Troy. Troy, now you do have something for us.
1: I do and I you know we started off with onward you know it was all light and awesome and great and I, mine's you know about a 180 from that uh, just just you know not gonna name any specifics but uh, you know our community can get a little uh, riled up about things at times and a little you know we, we hear all the horror stories at tables of inappropriate behavior and things like that. And I just kind of wanna, I, I kind of guess I rediscovered uh, X cards um, this past week, um, and I think, I think that's kind of something that more people, more stores, more conventions probably should, and even streams should uh, incorporate X cards. Maybe the lines and veils, uh, and and I'm sure that there's a bunch of other tools out there. Uh, for keeping tables safe, keeping players safe, DM safe.
0: Um, do you, know, you mind? It, 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 do you mind giving yeah. just our audience a brief description of an X card?
1: X card uh, is exactly what it sounds like. You have a, a like probably like a playing card size uh, deal. Uh, on one side is an X. On the other side, could be nothing, or sometimes there's a zero. If uh, if you're playing along and you're enjoying what's happening, even if your character is upset. And you're role-playing that, being upset. You have that zero showing, showing that you're okay. You know, the DM can kind of like look around and make sure, okay, everybody's okay with what's going on. It's it's a tense subject, but everybody's cool with it. As soon as the DM or another player kind of uh, starts tiptoeing into a subject that you are not comfortable with, no matter what that is. You flip that card over and you touch the X to show, hey... I'm not. I'm not feeling okay about this, and that is a sign for the DM to go, "Hey, okay, scene fades. Scene fades to black. Uh, we're we're gonna do something different, or okay, scratch that. We're gonna do some retconning. Move forward because we don't want to make anybody uncomfortable. We don't want to, you know, step on any toes in that respect. Um, lines and veils is is uh, kind of the same thing." it's uh it's more of a well a line is exactly what it is it's a line you do not cross this line a veil is more of a, a you know kind of slowly fade away and 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 uh, or fade to black and, and pan away to do a different scene and that's something that you have to have a conversation with in a session zero probably would be the best um, you know what what is it you don't want to cross is it violence towards children Um talking about tapioca pudding whatever it might be it doesn't matter <laughs>
0: um
1: and and i don't mean to i don't mean to say tapioca, tapioca pudding to uh make light of the situation at all it's it's to show you don't get to ask you know if, if a if a player says hey i don't want this line to be crossed it's it's okay done you you don't need to explain it to me i just think maybe more people need to uh Need to keep that in mind a little bit, even if you're just getting to a point in your game where, as a DM, uh, this this next scene could be a little tense. Maybe I should just ask, "Hey, everybody, this next scene is going to involve uh, Bluto is going to torture the uh, the guard. Is everybody okay with that?
2: Hmm. You know, something like that. Yeah. Yes, I, I've um for me. I was actually first introduced to the concept of some physical object, card, or or flag, or anything like that that would indicate uh, player discomfort. I think it was in Origins 2019. And so it was odd to me because I hadn't... I'd played in in a a handful of... or not a handful, but in many convention games, but hadn't really run a lot before that. I'd done Winter Fantasy that, that year earlier, uh, I didn't know if it was part of the like a, an official rule or official tool that they used or what. And so for me, it was it was odd. And the only reason is because I already had that conversation with my players anyway uh, at my home games. But again, these are home games. And I think that to your point, Troy, um, when you're talking about public play, PG is the way to go. PG-13 and pushing it, mm, Maybe a little bit, but it, for me, as a as a, a DM that runs public games for people that I don't I haven't met before, or that I'm not intimately familiar with uh, their past, whatever their past traumas are or anything like that, it's it's to your point. It's not for me to question why. It doesn't really it matter, right. you know. Especially if they're they're paying for it and we're not close, and I don't know that we don't have the time to sit there and try to suss it out at the table. Honestly, we're there to play and have a good time. So, it it was it's something that I've become more aware of uh, since uh, since that point And now bringing it up again, uh, I just again I, I have the conversation with my my table ahead of time. If that feel like there's anything that's coming up that's gruesome, because sometimes I can be really descriptive about death scenes and stuff like that, blood and guts and entrails and all that stuff. And so, I have a conversation with my tables ahead of time, saying how if I don't want you to I don't want it to go too far. Just kind of let me know you're not going to hurt my feelings, right? Mm-hmm. Um, So the tools, having a tool set was definitely something that was new to me. Love it. Yeah.
3: I, I ran into it a lot like uh, Jonathan at convention at at winter fantasy this year, actually. So just a couple months ago I did, I was part of the LARP um, with Catherine actually this year Mm
1: -hmm. and
3: uh, had a lot of fun. It was my first time and they introduced us to the cards because of course, even a LARP is one step further Mm. where you're pretending to be somebody and you're you're walking up to people and you're touching people and you're, I mean, not touching, touching, but you're shaking hands and everything else. And, um, and I had never seen it and that's really cool. I mean, of course my table always is a safe space for as many people as possible as the whole point of the whole point of D and D for me is to get people out of their real life stress and headaches and everything else and give them time away to do whatever they want to be. Exactly. Whether that's just hang out with friends, or if that's really want to get into the fantasy aspect, or whatever it may be, I have, I run I run a store here in um, Canton, Ohio. I help run a store, and um, one of the big things that we do is we we work with kids all the way to down to age like eight to twelve, and then we have adults playing all the way back to people who played for, with the original white and red boxes. So um, everywhere in between, we have people who come to the table really excited to play and really wanting to get into the fantasy because they love Dungeons and Dragons. And then they, we have people who come to the table that just want to be part of this part of a scene, part of a crowd. And um, the idea of X and X and blank cards or our lines and veils or whatever it is is a really great idea to make sure that people that you don't know well are comfortable, whether that's at your store or convention or, or even your home game, if you haven't had those talks in Session Zero.
0: Awesome. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate Troy you bringing it up and uh, help do our part to get the word out and uh, and and let people know what tools are available. Yeah. <coughs> for them to use exactly. Okay. Let's move on. Let's go to our uh, main course for the evening. Let's let's do the DMs on DMing, where we just tackle a topic for fifteen twenty minutes. Um, so. I I have myself down here as a segment lead, but I hopefully it just kind of expands to everyone. Um, we we've kind of pitched this podcast, at least in part, as bite-sized gaming as a as a plethora of RPG podcast where we're not just D and D, right? Um, and so I thought, you know what? One of the ways that we can help kind of uh, enunciate that is to do one of these early episodes where we talk about some of those non dnd rpgs and i thought a good way that maybe we could do that is we could take talk, take a little bit of time here and talk about other rpgs that we play and how they have impacted our dming or our playing in fifth mm-hmm. edition um, All right. yeah okay does that make sense Yeah oh, great Okay, cool. Maybe we'll do a longer form about other games on, on something else later, but for now, I just kind of want to see, like, what drew you to things, and what have you then pulled away from those things? Um, does anybody have one they want to start off with right out the gate? Troy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, the uh, the Fantasy Flight Star Wars, the uh, the Edge of the Empire.
0: Yeah. Yes. Um, yep. I mean,
1: obviously, what drew what drew me to it? <laughs> Star Wars. Yeah. Um, and then you know, weird, weird, freaky dice, and uh, and you know, it's a brand new system. Uh, a friend of mine, he he picked up the the books. He actually picked up the the, the beta test books, and where you had the you know, you bought the dice, and you had to buy the stickers that go on the dice. That way, you had all the symbols <laughs> and everything before they had the actual stuff. Um, and the the joke was, Troy is really going to love this system. Because there are no ones on any of the dice,
0: <laughs>
1: and and man, he hit the nail on the head. It, the way that the the dice pooling system works, uh, even if you miss your attack, you still might do something that puts you know puts the bad guy uh, in a in a uh, an unadvantageous situation where you can get away. Um, maybe it, uh, blocks a shot or you could hit, but it doesn't do that much. It, th- there's just so much storytelling in the actual dice mechanic itself. Mm. I absolutely loved it. It, it, mm-hmm. it was an awesome system. I wish I could play it more. I haven't played it in several, several years. Um, but I think what I took from that, from that, uh, that system is, the dice can help you tell the story. Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. not just, Oh, I'm going to roll the hit. Oh, I missed. Okay. Next. No, here's something that else that happened along with that. Or I guess the, 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 the better examples would be, uh, skill checks in D and D. Yeah. You know, if, if, if you have something hidden and your players cannot, move forward in your campaign unless they find that thing and the dice are cold for them the whole night guess what your campaign is at a standstill what do you do so they're going to find it no matter what because they have to it's a given so the role just turns into how much of a success is it do they find it quickly oh, i rolled a 20 on my on my investigation check you look, you find it in, in five minutes. You're out the door. The bad guys don't even know you find it. Or did I did I bunk it up and I rolled a one on it? Yeah, you found it. It took you an hour and a half to find it. And guess what? As soon as you walk out the door, the bad guys are right there. And now you have to fight to get away. Mm. You know, let, let the dice help you tell the story. You know, failure doesn't mean... Does it have to mean you failed? I love that, it. That that's that's kind of what I took from that system.
2: Yeah, and I love that system too. And uh, the it's I love I'm spot on with a lot of the stuff that you're saying. One of the things that really really hit me about it is how cinematic the the system is. And how much focus there is on making it feel like a movie. And me being a I'm a giant film buff, love movies, always have um, we were talking a little bit before about how I've kept every single ticket stub for every movie I've ever gone to <laughs> since I was since Ninja Turtles back in 1990, right? Yep. Shout out Ninja Turtles. Um, but uh, I love the fact that not only that, but it not only is it cinematic, but it's also it's the, it states very specifically in the rules that you don't have to do all the heavy lifting of a scene. This is a scene you, 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 uh, you set the stage. You give them a, a wire framework to the players, and then the players actually have uh, they have agency not only with their characters but also with the scene. It's like I need a bottle. Is there a bottle there? The then it's up to you as the GM to say, Yeah, there's a bottle there, or maybe there's a role that needs to be involved in it in order to make sure that it's there. But they help you with the lift, and and I love that because that I learn I've expanded my um, my desire and my ability. To make sure that the game was as co- collaborative as possible. Instead of yeah. me being the center point and the fulcrum by which the entire story is turned, the players, in order for them to gain, to be engaged in the story and really care about the story, they need to have a part of it too. And I felt like that was really important. I got that from that for sure.
0: Love it. I'll throw out a couple, a um, couple little examples. Um, I'm really enjoying my time in call of cthulhu right now and the more i play it the more i care or the less i care about doing combats in my 5e games if that that makes sense um because call of cthulhu is a game about avoiding combat (laughs) in a lot of of respects right Right, very deadly game if, if you're gonna go if you're going to go swinging weapons Um, and so your party ends up looking for any excuse or any opportunity they can that doesn't involve um, you know uh, a showdown in the streets Um, and what I realized after I played a few games of that was how much I was comfortable just running a a a non-combat session in fifth edition Mm. Um, so that would be the thing like like you still have all the tension. You still have all the drama. You still have the, the horror aspects or whatever, but you didn't, I didn't need to have that combat. So that would be the thing that I pulled from that is I just got more and more comfortable with the non-combat aspect. Um, and then the other thing that I'll point to is, you know, last episode we talked about toothless design and this is not a pun intended to be at least. Um, Mm. but vampire is the opposite of that. Uh, the new vampire five E, um, And their their, um, blood dice mechanic for, or their hunger dice mechanic for when your vampire gets hungrier and hungrier, um, you swap out more and more of your black dice for red dice and rolling fails on a red dice is a bad, bad deal, right? Uh, So the hungrier you are, the Mm -hmm. more red dice you have, the higher likelihood is that you have a critical failure is what it's called.
3: Um I have the same it's like um is that a lot like the luck aspect of pushing luck in Call of Cthulhu? Whereas if you push luck and still fail again, it's it's a sort of a carte blanche for the DM to to really give it to you.
0: Yeah, it's it's very similar in that vein. Um I think the the reason that the vampire one caught my attention was because oh more so I should say, is because it's directly tied into um the class so to speak as opposed to call of Cthulhu, which is just the general character sheet and really it's it's mincing things um but it's a very similar mechanic but yeah i what i realized was after after understanding more and more of that vampire game is like oh i want to implement more of this style of thing into my game where my players choices at the table their role play choices have an influence on their what dice they're rolling Mm.
3: Mm.
0: yeah um and and so that's something that i've been uh working on over the past several months six months is is when my players do something meaningful role play wise it's not just going to have a role play side effect it's going to have a dice side effect as well
1: right okay
0: i like that
2: yeah i think from
3: oh go ahead Jonathan.
2: Um, uh, no, go ahead, Thomas. You're good.
3: Uh, we see that in inspiration, right? To a lesser extent. Mm-hmm. When, mm-hmm. when DMs don't forget about inspiration, we, all we see time. that yeah. same kind of thing where, yeah, yeah I do it all yeah. the time too. And I, and I'm a, I am role play first sort of guy. Um, but I, uh, um, I forget about inspiration and then I end up, uh, giving it away willy nilly once I forget that I realize that once I realize I forgot. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and then it doesn't seem as powerful, but, yeah. um, one of the things is is that uh, it's it's great to have those people who are changing the narrative, and we see that in all these streams and everything else It's changing the narrative of hey, Dungeons and Dragons is go into the it's um, dungeon the Mad Mage, right? It's just yeah. fight one room and then next room, and you fight another room and then next room, and there's there's space for that, and there's people who love that, so that's, I'm glad they made that again, but that's not that wasn't my favorite adventure that
2: they put out. Yeah,
0: right.
2: no. And yeah, so for me, i kind of my, the, my own that I've I put a list together in my head. The one that keeps coming back to me is not something that I learned how to be a better DM with necessarily, but it colored the way that I run my home games, like the homebrew that I create, the adventures that I craft myself are really colored with a palette from this game. Mm. Uh, I was I didn't I came into Warhammer really late and had and then was just punched in the face by how much lore there is, <laughs> shocked yeah. at how much lore there is, Drown in lore, and what ended up being a really fantastic way for me to get into it—not the tabletop, uh, the skirmishes, or anything like that—but an actual RPG was Rogue Trader. I don't know if you guys are familiar mm. with this or not, uh, but there are two things I learned from. Or the, there's the I got the it's macabre, it's really dark, it's gritty, it's weird, uh, it is the the universe is broken it's in a state of atrophy it's not going to get any better or sure it looks like it's never going to get any better The what hope there was is gone or fading and so there's real tension there is real there are real consequences but at the in rogue trader you're not like a boots on the ground grunt or a toady where whereas there's so many and like they just end up in the meat grinder in warhammer um in the warhammer universe Instead Rogue Trader, you are the elite. You are given these uh, these warrants by the Emperor, the Divine Emperor, to go out into the universe and make as much money as possible for the Empire of Humanity. Mm. And so you're not... You are, you start out essentially at 15th level, like you would in Dungeons and & Dragons. And you're not a an adventurer. You are a privateer that goes out... And it's not, and it's it's not at a micro level. It is a macro level. You're not talking about uh, saving a, or not even saving necessarily, or taking over resources for a city, a land, a country, but planets. And that you're acquiring planets, and the scale of it is massive. So, aside from the, like uh, what I learned from, or not learned, but what I gained from a storytelling aspect of like like really going dark, because most of my my campaigns are pretty lighthearted. I like heroic games, um, but like from a story perspective, whenever I, I write stuff now, I've noticed how much darker it's gotten since I played that game. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think by the players that I have, the, you could tell there are some. It goes pretty dark, where we need the cards at the table every once in a while with uh, with some of the gruesome stuff that happens for sure. So, uh, but the, again, what I learned too was that that macro level when the players scale, you know, we we all kind of suffer from. The tier three, tier four lament of it's really hard to wrangle those players at that level. So what do you give them? That's a challenge that, you know, you can't just throw them into a dungeon. Something you got to have something else. So uh, Rogue Trader really helped me out a lot with that. It was like just conceptually, what do you do with these with these characters with
0: godlike powers? And what yeah, do you yeah. throw at them? Yeah, mm-hmm. That's awesome. Thomas, you got another one for us? Yeah, so I have, I don't know if you guys
3: have um, played it or not, but I have picked up Mouse Guard. I don't know if anyone knows Ooh. of Mouse Guard. <laughs> I I have heard of Mouse Guard, yes. yes so Mouse it. Guard is a, is a burning wheel product, product, so it's mostly played with D6s, or it's all played with D6s. But the one thing that, um, and we can get into it at a different time or anything else, but what they do really well is narrow narrow down that sort of backstory from the very get-go. And the way they do that, and that's huge to me because as a DM or somebody who's making a world, I want to make you feel part of it. Yes. I want you to feel connected. I don't want it to be just like, oh, you just have to be this person going through the dungeon or the city or whatever it may be, depending on what RPG we're playing. So right on the play the player hand sheet or the the sheet that you, you – every every player fills out two sheets – one sheet is for them, like a like a character sheet. Another sheet is for DMs hmm. or GMs, um, and it has things like um, your hometown, because your hometown has different has a, a effect on what like um, jobs you could do, what kind of artisan you are. Hmm. It has um, who your friends would be, so you have names of friends um, who might or might not be in the Mouse Guard. You always have a mentor, so unless you start off at a high rank in the Mouse Guard, you have somebody that you're training under. I like that. Um, you have your parents' names and what your parents did. And so basically without starting a backstory, if I if I w- sat down at a table with you guys who have never played, you fill out this sheet and you instantly have a backstory without knowing anything about the world. That's and cool. it's, really, um, it's really a great starting spot. And um, it's really great for collaborative storytelling at that point.
0: Hmm.
3: I'm about to look at this. It's beautiful, too. I don't know. I It caught my eye because I run, I said in the last episode, that I run a, um, a game store. So we run, we have 1,100 board games. We have all the D&D products and Starfinder and Pathfinder and everything. And anything that, um, any board game I end up coming home with normally has beautiful box art. I, I buy things with my eyes all the time. Oh, um, yeah. I say that and I look at it. And I'm just like, oh, that is gorgeous. Somebody, or Some artists took a lot of time with this. And that's what um, that's what Mouse Guard caught me because it was it started off as a comic. So think about like Redwall. Zach, you might yes. be a little young for Redwall, but a lot of us No <laughs> Don't, don't. No, not too listen, young.
0: not not everything
3: am I too young for. <laughs> uh, Redwall was early nineties probably, right? Right Yeah.
0: yeah.
3: Early nineties. Uh, so it's gonna be what it was popular at least. I was I was five or six, seven, I'm thirty four now, so Redwall was early in my reading, and it's a lot. It 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 sort of is the same kind of idea as Redwall, where you're mice and you're going out to, uh, you're fighting foxes and and uh, rabbits and those kind of things. And it's it's really cool. It's a really great system.
2: Hmm. That's cool. I've actually been wanting to play it, and uh, I haven't yeah, picked so up I... the the source material yet. But it's one of those. It's tough to get into the new games because there's just so much that you have to learn. But I mean, I was I was sold on it because I am uh, I love Don Bluth, and I love The Secret of Nim. Mm. And oh, so, yes. as soon as I saw it, I immediately thought of The Secret of Nim whenever I saw it. And so, uh, all, all I need is an opportunity, and I'm in. I right, so, yeah, <laughs> that's, Thomas that's is holding fantastic. up the, a picture yeah. of it. Yeah, that's great. I love the art. You're right; is absolutely gorgeous too.
0: Love it. Awesome. Okay, I think I think we've done a really good job of this. Actually, I wasn't sure how we'd do with this topic, but we we hit it out, hit it out of the park. So, shockingly, we'll I it. have played other games other than D and D. Yeah, a few, a few, a couple, yeah. it's a, just a couple. All right, let's go ahead and uh, dive into our palate cleanser. So, this is another story that one of us got from one of our tables, and we're going to discuss it. So, John, you have the story. Take it away. Yeah, I do.
2: I uh, We've. Uh... I've delved, I've dived headfirst into Roll Twenty in the last couple of weeks. I had my uh, my first game this past mm-hmm. Friday with uh, some of our, my players, and uh, I learned something from it. Shockingly, you know, here I am. You know, I've been running games for twenty five years. I learned something at every single at every single session. And in this instance, I'm not, not going to name any names. I'm going to try my best not to be spoilery because. Uh, some people might be familiar familiar with the product or with the storyline, but I had an instance where I had a player that really, really wanted to inter- uh, interrogate a cultist. Uh, but I felt like the cultist was feverishly zealous enough to where there's no way he's going to give any information up. But I could tell that this player really wanted to role play it and he was really looking for the the reward that would come from uh, from from playing through this, and I felt bad after the fact after that first interaction, and then the second interaction. And I could tell every time there was an encounter with the, incult, the cultists, this player would, was one of the only ones, or excuse me, the only one that didn't kill everybody and just lay waste everybody, and then and then run them through. He wanted to let at least one live, so that we could glean as much information out of him as possible. And so about the, I got because I'm, I'm hard headed, two or three in. Uh, the combat's in. I finally got it, and I was like, "Oh, this is this is a thing that he needs." You know, this he doesn't mm-hmm. need blood and guts and gold. He needs that interaction and the reward from the role play, right? Yeah. And So, uh, but at that, unfortunately, by the time I got it, I uh, there were all the the cultists were pretty much done. The only thing that was left was a dr- and uh, was um, going into a keep, right? And so, but there was a dragon that was involved in this, and I won't go into too much more difficult uh, to uh, information about it, but the, what I did as a way of veering it back over to something that could, I could, re- I could reward with roleplay, was I had the dragon that had been doing strafing runs uh, on the players, or the characters, and on the, the area that they were in. I had the dragon, like, kind of, I had um, a light near them, and... Uh, he'd, they'd seen these little pink flesh bag things that were causing so much trouble to all the other cultists that were really important to this dragon. Uh, and so uh, the dragon, in its curiosity, wanted to know a little bit more about it. Instead of going straight in and eating them, or going in teeth first, so to speak, the dragon was willing to go into a dialogue with the mice before it, as the cat, decided to eat them. And so I gave the player an opportunity to RP with the dragon. And as I'm sitting there trying to formulate it in my head... Like, what does the dragon want? What is the what does the dragon have to give? Like, what can he give in re, in, re, in reward for a successful RP back and forth? And so the the dragon didn't end up. What I ended up doing with is the dragon didn't end up leaving necessarily. But the dragon became really lazy in the way that it, uh, the nuisance that it was supposed to be, the threat that it was supposed to be, Perfect. and it was a byproduct of that interaction that I had with that specific player that needed it. And that at the end of the, the game, at the end of the session that night, with I didn't even ha- I, I I knew it was coming. Whenever I always ask my players, what did you love and what did you hate? The thing that that player loved was the interaction with the dragon because the, it it meant something to resort instead of trying to stab it scaly hide. It uh, they got something out of the the speech instead of the sword with the with the dragon, and so. I say all of that because what I learned again is that um, I had to re- really more of a reminder to myself is that I don't have to push every single conflict to combat, you know, and to really be, it's, and it's hard, right? As DMs, it's really, really difficult to constantly monitor four, five, six, eight people at a table. It's really tough. And really try to give them that spotlight, give them that fun factor. But, uh, and now I'm, I had the, the next two days later, I had my next group, going through the exact same uh, module and this time i mean I, I learned what i learned on friday i put into play a practice in in on sunday mm. and then and that was the and then of course that was the thing that the sunday group thought was so great about it was <laughs> that it, it didn't have to end in combat right so i love i present it. that to you yeah i present that to you is that something that uh is this something that you've dealt with before? Like how I'm I, surely I'm not the only one that has to do, that has dealt with that or kind of, I've, I've suffered from my own, um, my own lack of, you know, perceiving the the needs of the players at the table until too late sometimes.
0: Well, I mean, I'll just jump in and say that, um, it kind of goes back to what I was talking about with Call of who, but like, What I realize is that I'm very rarely right about what my players want in a given session. Yes. Um (laughs) and so um there's a learning experience there, but but I would say that um just yeah, I mean like like as soon as I think well, what they want is combat. And and I'm not Mm. giving them combat, so I need to give them a whole set a big combat next session or whatever. Then I then when we end that next session, they're talking about the role play. I'm like, oh, well, right. they need roleplay. So I'm willing to figure out how to make roleplay important for the next session. And yeah. then we end that one, and they're like, oh, man, I was itching for a combat. You know, like, it's always the thing that you <laughs> didn't think about. Um, yeah. At least that's my opinion. That being said, um, I think that the thing that they like from your story, John, is that you took the time to think about their preferences in the moment and to construct the scene to where they had Mm -hmm. an interaction available. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, that player went nuts that game and the other table went nuts the next game for it. But the game after that, it could have been a whole different part of that adventure that somebody went nuts over. Right. And so I think, again, I say that I get it wrong 90% of the time, but still the idea that I would like to strive for is that I create the openings and then they get to pick which ones they're stepping through. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly.
3: I never claim to be a great DM. I enjoy doing it and I enjoy bringing a product to my, to my friends and family and even more so meeting people at convention and things like that. But I find myself doing those things all the time. Like, okay. Especially a convention where you have three and a half hours to, to get through a module and you're like, okay, this is the way it's supposed to be run. And Adventure League is is pretty strict with how they want things done and things like that mm-hmm. too. And sometimes I have to realize, like, the biggest thing I tell every new convention DM that I talk to is, if your players are having fun, it doesn't really matter if you are a hundred percent following the module. Thank like, you. So right. um, agreed. And the way the way I do that is things that are. I mean, I use convention because my home group is is pretty adamant and things like that about what they want. Mm. Whereas convention is very different. Where we don't we don't have those same answers. I don't have the. I can't read my convention players' body language because I've only seen them for forty five minutes or whatever it may be. Mm. Um, but I have uh, I have gone out of my way to change, not change the whole module, but change how things sort of flow to make things work better. Um, for that table. And that's not uh, It's just like we talked about at the uh, last episode, guys, where I was talking about our our um, our players killing as the warlocks at the at the Michigan event last year, um, yeah. sort of breaking the module and sacrificing ourselves. So the Paladins couldn't win. Um, mm-hmm. It's the same thing. So, like, that's probably not the answer they want you to have, but <laughs> it's it's, a, it's an but event that we'll always remember. Yes. And it's the event it's it's I was listening to one of the podcasts you guys were on before and it was like the guy that jumped on the dragon, right? Oh,
1: yeah. Oh yeah. That
3: wasn't in the that wasn't in the Epic's rules. Right. But at the same time, you've made that kid's whole day and he's going to come back six times or whatever it may be for the next 5 years um, to the thing and that's that's what I have to look at as I said if I can if I can look at the convention time as somebody's vacation and do my best to make them have a good vacation. I never have to worry about how I'm doing or anything else because I'm I'm, and it's the same thing Jonathan said, just, just worded differently. Right.
1: Yeah.
3: His, his yeah. character really craved that, that, um, that interaction with the NPC and yeah. we have to figure that out. And I'm sure you're, I'm sure your, your game wasn't set up for that interaction.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's right. one of the things that is a, a muscle that is has to constantly be worked. Is that is improv? Mm-hmm. You know, I, sure I, you don't need to I don't, you don't need to stick me on whose line it is in any way. But you know, I really I push myself <laughs> with, with every single session to try so hard not to be beholden to every black and white letter that's on that page. I want right. to honor it. I want to respect, especially when we're talking about. Convention play, where you're trying to create a, uh, a homogenous experience for all of the players, the other players that are that are at the tables, but at the same time, you also want to create something that is very unique that they can that they can take back to the other guys at the other table or the other people that were at the other table and say, "Ah, oh, you did it like this." No, 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 we did it like this. Oh my god, I had no idea. And then they can talk to the other DMs that ran the module like, "Where the hell is that in the the module anymore?" Oh yeah, you know, I, I it's love not. that. <laughs> Yep.
0: Yep.
3: Yep. I, I've done, I've done eight to 10 conventions now and, um, and I'm running eight to 10 games every convention. So I've run 80 to a hundred games for conventions over the last three or four years. And um, I don't remember the ones that I go module through normally. Right. I'll always remember the ones that somebody came up with some crazy idea to finish it.
1: Hmm. I'll yeah. always
3: remember playing in that one that we killed the paladins as a warlock or um i'm sure it, uh the dragon story whoever the dm was for that i think it was troy right yep yep is that your story so you, i'm sure you'll always remember that no matter how you're you'll oh, be yeah. 80 years old and you'll be like oh yeah you'll bring up convention dming and that'll be the first thing that pops
1: in your head you, oh mm-hmm. you know it sitting there in the old old D folks home
2: <laughs>
3: count me in can i start yeah. making payments on that now <laughs> yeah, uh,
1: that's I, yeah sorry, no but... kidding
2: I'll I'll meet again. you guys at the at the table at Lubie's and we'll all we'll all play, we'll all do it together. <laughs> right on. Perfect. Sorry, that's that's right a on. that's an 80s reference for those that are unaware. Lubie's and Morrison's the old cafeteria is the meat and threes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right. Well, um let's let's uh let's call that good there, I think. I think that was a great story, John. Um yes. I I feel this way every time we do one of these little moral of the stories and we might have to in this later cut the segment because every time we bring it up, I want to talk about it longer than we have time for. Yeah. So it might be a thing where it's too much of a tease, but let's go ahead and dive into hidden gyms, the dessert section. We're talking about tidbits that we fell in love with this week. Um, each one of us, or at least several of us have, have something here, um, Let's see. Let's start with John. What do you have for us? Yeah, you
2: got it. So, kind of going back, I've been playing a lot of Roll Twenty and prepping a lot of Roll Twenty for online gaming in the last couple of weeks. And I stumbled on this. If we talk, want to talk about a hidden hidden gem, how about somebody that has less than fewer than five hundred subscribers to their YouTube channel? All right, you want to talk about a hidden gem? This is this guy is the diamond in the rough. He doesn't have a ton of content, but the stuff that he's got out there is really good, and he's got bite-sized, no pun intended, morsels that he can hand off to you. His <laughs> name is Nick Olivo or Olivo maybe, um, and I will put a link in the in the uh, the second the session notes here. But the the three in particular that I went through, if you're trying to get into, um, if you're a DM and you're trying to get online. One of the hardest things is the learning curve that you've got with the application. Mm. You already know how to run a game, or maybe you do, maybe you don't. But for me, it's always where are the buttons, what are the mouse clicks, What's the, what are the hot keys, what are all yes. these extra little, little bobbles that I can use to make the game not just better, but way, way easier for me to run, right? And so the three of the things that he had is, the, first of all, he had like a, a top 10, or not top 10, I hate it whenever they do top 10 stuff, but it's like 10 roll 20 shortcuts. And every single one I used in the next game, every single wow. one. Uh, easily track the duration of spells and effects in roll 20. It was really, really simple, but it's not something that's spelled out there for you, especially whenever you first walk walk through the door with it. Uh, And then the other one was one another one that was a little bit more complicated, kind of a little bit more of a threw me for a curve. Was creating an interactive map token in Roll Twenty, where you create a token. The characters, the players, can click on it, and then then a little button appears. They click the button, and then there's a dialogue that shows up in the chat box that says a little bit about that token, right? So what I ended up doing is I took the Forgotten Realms map and where they started at. I put a little icon over it so they can click that and they can go back to that anytime they want to when they're on that map and they can it's like where what was that? Where were we before that did the thing and had the guy in it? So there, there are notes in there or there's like a little blurb and a picture to help remind them of uh of where that is. And then uh they can click a, a link and it'll show the handout. Will pop up so the, all of the stuff is automated and it's actually really, really easy to go back and do it. So, uh, again, uh, Nick Olivo, Olivo, dude, if you ever hear this somehow, I'm sorry I butchered your name, but uh, O L I V O, right? Uh, but yeah, it was fantastic and I was, uh, that was definitely a hidden gem. I love it.
1: Hey, he just got a new subscriber, I just clicked subscribe on that guy.
0: Perfect, that's right, show enough, show enough let them know you subscribed if you listened to this uh episode and, and, and found it through here. Um we'll we'll do as many shout outs as we can. Definitely. Okay. Um let's see. Tom, you got one. Let's let's go with you.
3: Yeah, so something that's a little bit near and dear to my heart. Um it's not really a new thing, but it is sort of a hidden gem up here in the Midwest. Um if we've heard of Jasper's Game Day, yep. um they work with Baldwin mm-hmm. a lot to um What they are is they are a gaming group, I guess, that does sort of conventions and they do some raffles and things like that. And all the money, it's a nonprofit and all the money goes to um, suicide prevention and suicide awareness Mm -hmm. in both um, teenagers, because teenagers and then also I think they have some veteran, veteran events and things like that as well. They are doing, since this podcast will air sometime in the end of April, they are doing a... Epic stream because they were supposed to have a, a in-person convention in the beginning of May. And of course that got canceled with, um, with all the COVID-19 stuff. So they're doing a stream, which I will be streaming at least one of the events. Hmm. Um, They are doing a stream from May 3rd to May 7th, and it's 40 hours of tabletop RPGs in those four days. Mm. Nice. So we are going to do the stream, all of it. You can, there's, we're going to have raffles and auctions and all of it goes to suicide prevention. So it's all going to a great cause. Um, they are just a great group of people who are doing a great thing. Um, we're going to link to that in the show notes. Yep. But it'll be done on Twitch, so you can sit at home and watch. Um, you can also contact them about playing in any of those cases. I know they're selling some seats for very reasonable prices in those Twitch games. So if you're looking to um, jump on... Um, I think by the time this airs, that they will uh, will only be like a week or two out. Yep. Um, so it'll okay. be um, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be people just having a good time, supporting a great great group of people, and
2: um, really uh, making a push there for everything they're about. Love it. That's all. That's awesome. I'm really excited for you guys. By that's the way, cool. I know that you want to talk about squeezing those lemons and making some lemonade. I'm I, I really I got my hopes up. That, uh, that you're really gonna have a, an awesome showing uh, and make it the best of a, a rough situation
3: yeah I will say that I have nothing I have nothing to do with the program oh, okay. I am friends with I am friends with Fenway um, who is the 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 young girl I think she's a 18 nineteen 20 years old or something now and she is a fantastic person um, she lost a friend to suicide and that's what started this and um, I have just been hundred percent in their corner. Anytime I'm at a convention, anytime I can help raise anything. So um, when they said that they were moving it from an in-person to a stream, I just threw out my name in the hat to see if I could help. Mm. Mm. So I'm just I'm just super excited for what they can do. And it looks like they have pushed their in-person event also out to the end of August or in, into August, the middle of August. So they're still going to be able to do an in-person. So it's been sort of as you said, Jonathan. You sort of take those lemons and and make lemonade as much as any way you possibly can. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Thank you for the clarification on that. That's really awesome. Thank you.
3: No problem. I just don't want anyone to think that I am, I'm taking credit for any of the wonderful things they're doing.
2: (laughs) No, no, I appreciate it.
0: Well, uh, I'll follow up that with something way less uh, noble. Um, But, but (laughs) I'm excited about it. So I'll talk about it anyways. I, I, was not a DM for this, but I got introduced to Monster of the Week in the past week. Monster of the Week is a- another RPG um, and it presents itself in a way um, it presents itself as a serialized game, like a serialized TV show like Supernatural or something like that, where Every week that you play or every session that you do as a, as a group, you are encountering a new monster that's going to be discovered, encountered, and defeated by the end of the episode, right? Um, that's kind of the idea of it. And you are all monster hunters. Mm. Um, and And the classes are like, there's like 30 classes, and they're all based around tropes of the genre of a monster hunter, right? So there's like the loner, or there's like um, um, the, the I want to miss them all, but like the mad scientist or the whatever, right? All these different ones. Um, but the system is really, really cool. Um, it is built around um, 2d6s. Everything, all the time. You will never roll anything but 2d6, as far as I can tell. Hmm. Um, okay. And uh, what I will say is that... Um, a highlight for me was that you nothing there's no role in which nothing happens when you roll dice something happens the story progresses um you don't roll and miss you don't roll and fail you don't roll and succeed and everything's hunky dory um i think ben the guy that ran me through he said the secret sauce is that no matter what happens what you roll the story progresses onward and you expand outward from that mm. um I would say that not only did I have a great time with Monster of the Week, but I think that it would be a perfect way to introduce new people to the world of RPGs. Um, I think you can pick up the core rulebook for like 20 bucks or something like that. Um, And if you have kids, you know, young kids or something like that, think about the fact that it's only ever rolling 2d6 and the highest modifier you're going to ever have is plus three or minus three so okay. real young kids could do it um other people who aren't familiar with rpgs you're not throwing them into the deep end you can make a character in about 10 minutes and you're good to go so that's my plug for monster of the week that's awesome
1: that sounds really i cool. love that
0: yeah as the powered by the apocalypse uh uh, uh oh game engine okay game engine yeah yeah
1: so oh, that's nice it's yeah. been
3: it's been super popular at our store. Um, we've had a couple people, and they just came out with a um, a supplement, uh, like a second a second supplemental book. So I think they're
0: like twenty five, and then twenty for the the supplement, if I remember. Right. Retail classes, thing. yeah, yeah. And we had a lot of fun, even just with the base classes. We picked it up. We were playing um, within just a short amount of time, and uh, Chef's Kiss. It was so so good. So um, we need to play it. Our group needs to play it at some point. I think we'd have a lot of fun with it. Right on. Okay. I think that's it. Anybody else have anything they want to say? Oh, let me point to Thomas here. Um, Thomas and I are starting up a stream. Thomas, why don't you tell us about that stream?
3: Yeah, so by the time this airs, we'll already have a couple weeks under our belt, I think. Um, Today is the 6th? Today is the 6th of April. On the seventh of April, starting at nine o'clock central, we're going to start a stream every Tuesday, and in that stream, the stream is called um, the Drifters Atlas. And what Zach and I are going to be doing is we are going to be building a world for your RPGs step by step. And what we're doing to make it different is we are doing we're trying to be hundred percent community driven. So while we build the world, we will be taking questions and answers and ideas from twitch or from our patreon or from our facebook group and the whole point in this is is we build this world hopefully and we we've we've seen world building books do well from wizards of the coast and um other books that are out there now but but it doesn't have any connection to people unless you're watching if you're a critical role fan the new wild Mount is great if you are so we found that connection really means something for these for these worlds and so what we're hoping for is that the players who are watching our our dms or players who are watching our stream can submit information and they can help us build this world and they can take the chunks of this world and put it right into their own world Hmm. so our goal is that um we will build the world on twitch and we have some great programs that let's um We're not just going to be writing on a piece of notebook paper as we build the world. We've got some great mapping programs that we're going to be running as we run. And we have some great um, like almost mapping OneNote kind of ideas where you'll see us take notes and um, names for NPCs and stat blocks and everything else. And hopefully our goal is to build those right there on the stream and then release that information through Patreon and into our group's Um, step-by-step so you can take those if you need an in it's the same thing we were talking about with uh, Catherine last episode where they needed some traps Mm -hmm. hopefully we can then print those traps out and drop it off to our patreon subscribers and they say here's 10 traps that we used in the last couple episodes go nuts yep here is six npcs with these backgrounds go nuts here is a whole town and then our 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 long-term goals is to hopefully put it all together at some point and and um see where that gets us put us in a book or if, if we can get to that point so um i hope it's gonna be really fun i think i think if we can get community support and people are interested in it i think we will uh have a lot of fun on the stream an hour a night or something or an hour a week or so um i think it's gonna be i think it's gonna be interesting i hope you guys tune in and um give us some information uh, give us um instructions on what you guys are thinking i mean I I really am really excited to see where it goes. Have you anything that I missed, Zach?
0: Uh, I would just say you you mentioned Catherine already, but I'll just go ahead and tell people that the first episode we're going to have a guest on every single week, and the first episode's guest is Catherine. But um, you're going to see a lot of DMs and Very players cool. rotating through. That's awesome. Um, uh, because yeah, we we like you said, we want to be community driven, but part of that community is getting that community into the room, the virtual room with us. Um, so not just via chat, but also through actually getting them on a call. So Catherine will be the first, um, but we hope to get as many people as possible rotating through there and adding their ideas to the pot so that, um, you know, I think it's going to be really cool when, when this is all said and done that if you came on the podcast or came on the Twitch stream, or if you guessed it on an episode where you can point and say, I made that in right mm-hmm. in that book, I made the, in yep. all right. The great part is, too, if you can't make the Twitch
3: stream and you can't watch live, we're going to have other communities built around YouTube and Facebook and Instagram so you can leave information. So let's say you watch. record on Tuesday, you watch it on YouTube on Friday, and over the weekend you say, hey, I saw where you guys went with this town, what do you think about this being the next step? Or what do you think about there being this shop with these kind of people in it? So even if you can't watch at nine o'clock central, um, because you got work in the morning or whatever it may be, um, we can then take that information and be, and I can start off the next episode, episode two with Tom said that this is a great idea. How, what do you guys think about this? And we can start off with your idea, even if you can't be there. So when you watch the next Friday, you see that we're taking your ideas, even if you're not live with us.
0: Yep. Right on. So, That's called The Drifter's Atlas. You guys can check it out on Twitch and on your favorite social media app. Um, We'll post a link in the show notes. I think that's about it for this episode. Tom, thank you so much for coming on with us. Yeah, thanks for joining.
1: Yeah, definitely.
2: Thank you,
0: guys. It's been a blast. John, Troy, thank you so much for uh, hopping on board with me and pushing this cart a little bit further down the road. Um, Of course. uh, Thank you all for listening, and we will see you next week. Bye everybody, take care. Great gaming everybody.